Um, turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Now, going through my notes uh, this morning, realizing this is the 15th study um, in our journey here. Uh, we've been doing it that long. And, uh, and uh, I'm just enjoying it. I hope you, you are as well. Studying the life and the, uh, the footsteps of, of Christ. And it isn't just to study it uh, so we would become more uh, acquainted. I mean, we want that. Um, but my prayer is that we become more like him. You know, that that's the reason. Uh, one of the reasons why we do do this. Where we study his life so intently and we look at these things and we examine them. And then we pray, Lord. We want to be like you. And, uh, uh, the, you know, Paul the Apostle, he had the courage to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And that word follow there in the Greek New Testament is the word to mimic. To mimic me as I am mimicking Christ. So the challenge from even Paul the Apostle is that uh, we're to be like Christ. Not sinless. That will never happen on this side of heaven. Amen, guys? Um, but still, nonetheless, that's the reason we study it. Starting with verse, um, let's see, verse 16, I believe. Chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet of Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of, of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book and he gave it, uh, it again to the minister. He sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. All bared him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save the Saratha, the city of Sidon, unto a woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save in Nahum, the Syrian. All they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto a brow of the hill whereon the, their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. He passed 
through the midst of them and went his way. Yeah, let's stop there. Let's stand again with Bible in hand and let's pray over this text. Father, thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you for just the desire that you've placed in our hearts, Lord, to, to know it. Now, not just a, a head trip, God, but that we would know it. We would experience it. Uh, that it would become a part of our lives where we would live it. Lord, we know, God, that this is not just a spoken word. You spoke it to the prophets of old. And, and Father, and, but it is also a written word that we can read. So again, Father, the eyes and the ears and the, and the mind and the heart, may they all be anointed, set apart to receive all that you do have for us this morning. Would you please, God, just help us, God, to set just the cares of this day or any day aside so that we would be able to have ears to hear what your spirit wants to say. Again, we commit this word into your hands to teach us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. Jesus, um, really his public ministry began at his baptism. And his ministry can be broken up into um, three blocks of time. Uh, The first year was a year of obscurity uh, where um, he was really just starting and becoming known. Uh, The second year of his ministry was a year of popularity and the fame of his miracles began to spread out all through the area. Then the third year was the year of opposition, mainly with the religious leaders who were opposing him. Now here in chapter 4, we see Jesus beginning that year of popularity. He is becoming really well known throughout all the area, and mainly because of his miracles. The ones that we have seen so far, like the, the miracle in Canaan of Galilee with the water being turned into wine, and then some other things, but yet we don't have everything written down Uh, that Jesus really performed. We only have just a very few of them. So he could have been performing miracles that are just not recorded. In fact, we're told if everything was written down by by, um, what he had done, the the world couldn't contain all the books, the volumes uh, that would be written about such. Well, he comes to his hometown in Nazareth. This is the area in which he was brought up. As a child. And uh, it was a place, though, of familiarity. I mean, everyone knew about him. They were familiar with him. Uh, they knew the family. They, they, they knew, you know, if Moses, I mean, if Mary and uh, Joseph had a, a, a quarrel, that everybody in town knew everything about him. But it was a place where they were really familiar with him. And especially um, those that did attend the synagogue. And we'll see why. Because... Well, as his accustomed was, he would go every week. Let's begin our reading in verse 16 again. He came to Nazareth, and again, you know what Nazareth means, by the way? The guarded one. I just find that interested, that that's where God would place the child, you know, Jesus, to be raised. The guarded one. Where he had been brought up, 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there was delivered to him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened it, notice it says he found. He found a place where it was written. And let's stop there for just a second again. Again, you'll notice that this is a place where he would go weekly. He was accustomed to going. Um, It's part of his character. It's a part of his makeup. It would be equivalent of saying, you know, he went to church every Sunday. It was something that was built into Jesus' life. Now, you might say, well, was it because he was the Son of God? We know that even when he was uh, 12 years of age and he was questioned uh, why he lagged behind. He looked at mom and dad and said, don't you know I'm about my father's business? I wish my kids at 12 years old would have said something like that. You know, what's the matter, Pop? Don't you know I'm about Jesus' business? Relax. But there's something here that I think might be applicable to some of us, being parents, that it's something, though, that it was instilled into his life. And there's there's no doubt that it was important to Mary and to Joseph, that possibly Mary and Joseph, they had an influence in Jesus' life. And one of those influences was it was very important for them to attend synagogue weekly. Now, we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assemblings of yourselves. I'll read the rest of the the passage there where it says, as the manner of some is. Some don't feel that it is important. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, I think you and I would go amen and amen. We do see a day approaching, don't we? If it was important to Joseph's Joseph and Mary, ought it not to be be important to the parent today? You know, uh, we see this day approaching. and, And we're encouraged to be more like Christ every day as parents. To be more like, because more is caught than taught, I think. How many would agree with that? That those little eyes are looking at the mom and looking at the dad. And some will say when they reach that age, I want to be like pop. I want to be like mom. Not many of us, and at least in my generation, can honestly say that. You know, the dialogue between my my siblings, my brothers and my sister was, there's no way I want to be like dad. I I don't even want to be even remotely close. I don't even want the expressions on my face. That he would express. A lot of us would say though. We'd like to be more like mom. My mom was an angel. Man, I can't wait to see her again. You know how many of us had at least one parent. That we really adored. Yeah that, and that's a gift folks. Because there's so many. Especially today. Kids that I've talked to on the streets. Where they want to get away from home. And that breaks my heart. I think a Christian, a Christian a child who's been raised would say, my, my haven, my safe place is right there under my mom and dad. I know my dad would lay his life down me. I know my mom will smother me with love. I want my, I want that. And there's got a lot of repentance on our part, isn't there, mom, dad? You know, I've gone before the, the Lord many a day, on many occasions, going, God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want my kids seeing me like this. God has a way of healing things. I'll just add that. Eh? <laughs> Better or I'll really feel condemned. Um, 
And look, we do want to become more and more like him. And we'll say, well, surely we are because of death, burial, and resurrection. We have died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ, raised to new life. Surely we are like him. We can even go as far as to say we've been baptized like Christ was baptized physically in the immersion of water, but also in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon him just like the Spirit of God has come upon some of us. And we all have him if you're a Christian. He is in you, but not everyone can say he has come upon us. We have been baptized in him. Not, not, well, I wouldn't say not many, but not, not everyone can make that, that statement. And so we are, we are to follow in his footsteps. And you know what, guys? It's important to Jesus that he was in synagogue. And I've heard these lame excuses, you know, the reason why people don't attend fellowship or church on a regular basis is because the church isn't perfect. There are a bunch of hypocrites in there. And well, you think in all the 31 years of Jesus's life, he found a perfect synagogue? No. There was only one who ever attended the synagogue, and that was Jesus. He was perfect, but everyone else was marred with flaws. So for someone to say, I don't go to church because there's imperfect people. Well, if if that's you and you find a church that's perfect, don't go. Leave it alone. If there is such a thing that exists, stay away from it. You'll mar it. No, making fun, but there's no perfect church. This is not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination. You know why? Because it's, it's filled with imperfect people. It's, it's, it's filled with people that struggle, that are just trying to make it just one day without sinning. In two days, they go a week and they've, they feel like got victory. Listen. But that's why Jesus came. And that's why, listen, Jesus made his church up with living stones, yes. But those living stones aren't perfect. In fact, they're unhewn, to to get a little theologically with you. They're not hewn, and they're unhewn. But anyway, um, and another reason they don't go, uh, because they think that there's just no need for for it, they, they just don't think that they need. It. They're so well versed in scriptures. Why, why go? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, uh, unless you're someone like Don Stewart or Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> I mean, that they would say they don't know everything. Really? No, just maybe we can imagine that what we've taken years and decades to study and we come to that point where we finally know everything. You can't really say you know everything because the Bible is called a living word. You can read a passage and, and think you know it and go back to it next year and it'll totally speak to you in a different way and change your life. You can never outlive that word you always are in need to come together to study, to show yourselves approved. The worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. You know, Paul said to the Christians in Thessalonica, they were Bereans. They, they were of noble character because they studied. And I think if I wanted to say anything parent to parent, it would be this. Don't leave that decision up to your children, whether they, att- they attend church or not. It's not their decision. Don't even, don't even get in the ring with them. Don't even make it an option. 
Well, Harry, when when um, they become teenagers, they don't want to go. Well, have a good fight, but they will attend church. And I'll tell you, it, because it's not their decision, it's yours. And why do I say that with such conviction is because you will stand before God. And you will be asked, I gave you gifts of children. Why was it? How come you didn't make them sit under the word? Well, we're, it's grace, isn't it, Harry? Yeah, it is grace. It's grace that you don't get beat today. Get in the car, we're going to church. No, I never, I'm not saying hit, hit your kids. But I'm going to really get some emails on that one. But um, no, it, 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 there are New Testament commands. And one of them is for you to raise your child up in the ways of the Lord. And when they get older, they won't depart from what you've raised them in. But how are you going to stand before God and answer, you gave your kids nothing. You didn't think you should make them go. Or bow their heads at a table to pray. Or do a devotion. I don't mean to sound condemning. I don't mean to sound that way at all. But I would fail you as you would fail your children if I didn't tell you. I don't think we are to leave it up to them. And the number one reason why we tell them that they are going to church and they're going to sit under the word, whether they like it or not, is because the word is taught here. And I examine what's taught here. And I know it's the pure doctrine. And the Bible tells us that the word of God will never return void. It'll never have meaningless purpose behind it. Yeah, they're going to go astray. Yeah, they'll go prodigal. Yeah, but you know, you can lay your head down on the pillow and you you know, I fought a good fight. I instilled the word of God into them and I know eventually that word will have purpose and meaning in their life. But if we don't give it to them and we think that they rule the roost and we're not going to tell them, then how are we going to give an account to God for it? It's not a question. It was never a question in my house. They didn't go, Dad, I'm not going. Well, then I guess maybe it's time for us to consider you to move out then. Because I don't, Dad, I'm 42. I don't care if you're under my roof. I think when you don't do that, guys, you're setting your children up for failure. That's all you're doing. If it's not important to you, it's not important to them. Well, I know enough. You don't know enough. The, the word of God is, is living. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts going in, cuts coming out. It deals with the thoughts, the intents of our hearts. You can never, ever outstudy it. You know, let me give you something here too, guys, and I'm going to pick up my speed, but... Um, the order of a synagogue. Jesus goes into this synagogue and it would always begin with um, the rabbi, the head rabbi, to stand and give a word of prayer. After the word of prayer, there would be a, a kind of like a declaration of the Hebrew faith. It was called the Shema. And it would go something like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Lord thy God, the Lord is uh, thy 
thy God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you shall be in your heart. And after that kind of declaration, it was followed again by one or two more prayers. Then after that, someone would stand, and most likely the guy in charge, he would read something out of the Torah, the law of God. After that, there would be a reading of the prophets uh, from one of the old prophets. After that reading of the prophets, then someone would get up and they would give a brief lesson. Well, they wouldn't get up. Actually, they would sit. It's kind of different in our culture. They would give a brief lesson on one of those scriptures. And then when he was done, there would be a benediction and then synagogue was over. Everyone would go home. Now, you notice here in 17 again that Jesus has handed this scroll. Now, did he have that position before? Possibly. You know, uh, but uh, all males um, who um, were raised in Judaism, who uh, was considered a a Jewish male, they were well versed in the Torah and in the Old Testament reading. So anyone could have taken that, would have been able to go through, find a place they wanted to read, read it, and then they would sit. And again, I know I'll repeat this again, but they would sit. Everyone else is still standing, but then they would look down at the one sitting And he would give a brief explanation or some kind of encouragement by that. So he's handed the book of Isaiah. Now the the scroll, this is a scroll, it's not a book. Now we know in our Bible we have 66 chapters in that book. Now that's a big scroll, people. You know, and he goes to chapter 6. So he's rolling it out and you could see him. Just no chapter breaks, no verses, no addresses, right? They, he just keeps reading through it and reading through it until he comes up to exactly where he wants to read. So this thing that he is reading, this portion, is something ordained by God. Uh, again, it, it, it was a, it's a prophecy. It's concerning the Messiah. He knows it. Everyone who is listening to him read knows it. And then he rolls it back up. He hands it to them. He walks back to wherever that person would sit. He sits down and everybody now just looks right over to him, you know. And what he does after he sits down, uh, again, in our culture, we would stand like I am. You're sitting, but we have a platform. Um, Synagogues weren't big. Um, Some varied from just 10 men to maybe 20 men. Everybody's able uh, to look down at the person in the middle, reading or explaining what's going on. And then all of a sudden, everybody's looking. He goes, and today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your very ears. And I could tell you, just like, listen, that's what it was like. You could hear a pin drop. You could hear in their mind, excuse me? What's been... This is about the Messiah who's coming. Today, this has been fulfilled in your, in your very ears. And um, again, the thing that interesting, is interesting too is that if you compare this portion in Luke, Isaiah chapter 6, to the, the actual Isaiah in your Old Testament chapter 6, Jesus is quoting this verbatim. He's doing, but he stops short. You know, we have, I think it's uh, those two verses, Isaiah 60, or I mean, sorry, Isaiah 6, verses 1 and 2. He leaves half a two out. 
And, it, and then reading it and studying it, you realize, you know why? Because the first part has to do with the first coming of the Messiah. And we're going to look at that very carefully. You know, the brokenhearted, the blind eyes, those that are in captive being saved. And then all of a sudden, before he talks about the vengeance of the Lord and, 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 and comforting those who mourn, that's the second coming. He goes, the first portion of Isaiah chapter 6 is fulfilled in your very ears. The second part's going to be fulfilled later. There's, there, there's something else to notice here, and that's the reactions. There's marveling, there's doubting, and then there's anger. The first point where, where well, in fact, let me read Isaiah 18, or sorry, Luke 18, the portion of scripture in which we were talking about. He goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That word again, upon, is the same word we would use as the Holy Spirit comes upon you or me. And baptized, you're just submersed in the spirit. He says, because the reason he has anointed me, uh, me for what? To preach the gospel to the poor. The word anointed, the caro, um, C-H-R-I-O, caro, uh, it literally means, I'll give you the um, definition, it means this. Consecrating Jesus to the messianic office, furnishing him with all necessary powers and authority for, the, um, for this administration or for this position. So he has been anointed to preach the gospel, to bring the good news first to the poor. Now, of course, we're thinking the poor, is, is it literal? Uh, it could also be uh, rendered this out of Weiss's uh, commentary. He says this, that the poor here means lowly, afflicted, and destitute of any Christian vir- vir- virtue or eternal value. That's who the poor is. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor, he's not talking about physically being poor. You can't buy anything. He's talking about being poor in spirit. And when he says, blessed are they that mourn, he's not talking about who people are. They're mourning because they're poor in spirit. And they realize when it comes to God's holiness and righteousness, man, they're falling short. And that's why he was anointed to preach to the poor, to heal. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word brokenhearted just doesn't mean somebody's sad. It means somebody that's crushed, somebody that's broken. Their lives are a shambles. In fact, one word even rendered it somebody's life. It's like splintered. They're so broken and they've given up and they know they can never put their lives back together. And in that culture, the poor, man, they were broke because there's no hope for them ever becoming rich. For those that were sick, no hope. They couldn't afford a doctor if they had money. And again, he came for those that were brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captive. The word captive really does mean um, a prisoner of war. But they're a prisoner of war because of, um, of not being forgiven. Unforgiveness. Recovering the sight to the blind. Uh, again, it literally me- doesn't mean physical blindness in this content. Context, it literally means people who are blind mentally and that there needs to be restoration to their sight so they can see clearly. That's what the word blind. You know, when we, when we were in the world or in our BC days, we could say we were blind. We, didn't, we do not see spiritual things the way we see them today. Is that not the truth? I mean, some of us are seeing even clearer today than we did 10 years ago. 
And then give me another 10, I'll see things even, even more clearer. You know, because God is still recovering the sight to the blind. And that's the word, and that's what it means there. He says also to set them, or set at liberty them that are bruised. And the word does mean those that are um, shattered and those that have been beat down. To preach that this is the acceptable year. And again, it is a suggestion that all the above, it's right there, right now for their taking. And they understood this. This wasn't something that, that they're, you're going, well, I wonder if we have a good commentary on this. They understood that this, this passage of scripture out of Isaiah 6 was about a Messiah. But the problem was they didn't think they needed it. Uh, sure, there might be broken hearted. There might be those that are crushed. There might be those that really, can, you know, but it's not me. Look at me. I'm in the synagogue every week. He closes the book. It says in 20. Again, he sits down and I just love the word where it just says they are fastened on him. Man, we're talking about eyeballs glued right on Jesus. And then again, as he says there, that this is um, being fulfilled in your very ears. That word fulfill means you can't add any more to it. You can't try to explain. Oh, listen, dear Saint, you can't explain any more to this passage. You can't add, you can't subtract. It is overflowing, man. And I love how people try to take the word of God and it's just a simplistic verse. It's just a simple verse. Such a blessed verse. Something that can bring healing. But people don't want to receive it. Just like these people are not going to want to receive this from him. There are people even today. You just give them the simplicity of his word. And they're going, no, nah, Harry, that's just. You know what? I really don't want to think that that's all I need. I need something more dynamic. I need some more, you know, something more exotic. I need more flair and, fl- you know, flash and all. And, you know, it must break God's heart. You must break God's heart when we start to think that I don't need, I need to add something to John 3.16. For crying out loud, what more would you need to add to that precious verse? No, Harry, you know, it's got to break God's heart to think men and women are trying to start Bible studies in bar rooms, just trying to teach God's word and his righteousness. How it must break his heart today. And God has called us into a life of purity and holiness and righteousness. You know what it is? It's them looking at a verse and saying, now there's, there's not enough flair to it. It's got to be a little more exciting. It's got to be a little bit more exotic. Let's add bells and whistles. Let's get smoke on the stage. Can you imagine if a cloud of smoke just started covering the stage while I'm teaching? Yo, Harry went off the deep end. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if I ever said to you, dear saints... That you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. That's such a bla- that's blasphemy. I don't have a, you don't have problems. You just need to feel good about yourself. That's blasphemy. That's a doctrine of demons. This thing is fulfilled. They all bared witness. They wandered first at his words, at these gracious words. They're marveling over this thing. And they're again, they're saying, isn't this his son? And again, they're marveling. Then they're doubting. And then there's anger here. They're marveling what? Well, they're marveling over the fact that, you know, he's applying this to them. 
They're not marveling that, oh, what a nice, beautiful little scripture verse and a promise we could put on our refrigerators. No, they're marveling at, wait a minute. Are you saying to me, I'm blind? Are you saying I'm crushed? Are you saying I'm in this prison? That's what they're marveling over. They thought the Messiah would come and come as a conquering king, overthrowing the Roman rule. They thought he would come in royalty. Jesus is reminding them that who he's coming to is to the poor and to those that are crushed and to those that might still think that they're in prison, to the brokenhearted. And for the majority of those people, even like today, the majority of the people are thinking, I'm him. I'm brokenhearted. Man, I'm so broken. I don't think if I want, I don't want to live tomorrow. The majority of the people feel like that today. The majority of the people today are just wondering how they're going to work another week to pay a bill. I'm not lying to you. Go read. Some people are broken because their kids are ODing at a record rate. Some people's hearts are broken because their marriages are being threatened. But the religious, the legalist, the one who thinks he needs more flair and all, this can't apply to us. He speaks of a spiritual blindness. And I praise God that Jesus came into this world to give me sight. I am, I am privileged that I can see spiritually. Personally, for my own life, I'm glad I know when I'm falling short and I need to get before my Creator. Spiritually for the church when I know he wants to lead us in a different direction. That's spiritual, ins- that's spiritual sight. And we should be so blessed to know that we could see. Because the world they don't. And the world is caught in their blindness. But Jesus would read this scripture to them. Today this, this verse is fulfilled in your very ears. Um, he talks about a year of jubilee to them. The acceptable year in the in the Greek Hebrew, they would think of that word as the year of jubilee. Every fifty years, there would be this year where all debts canceled. That everybody is just free. If you're in slavery, you're set free. You owe people money. You 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 go back to a zero balance. And you talk about an exciting year. Can you imagine people that are so caught in debt that this year is coming, honey? Next week, it's the year of Jubilee. We're going to be able, man, to do more. And we're going to be... And that day comes. You talk about a celebration. Well, Jesus said that year of Jubilee is every day for the believer. And whom the Son of Man has set free, he is free indeed. That you don't have to wait for a religious day. You can be free today. Even as if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day of Jubilee. There was doubt. Not only marvel, there was doubt. Is not this Joe's son? The familiarity of this guy was probably one of the the reasons for their rejection. Again, they rejected Jesus because they were familiar with him. They They knew him. But they thought the Messiah would come again as some kind of royalty. Some kind of noble background. But my goodness, they were so far from it. 
We're going to notice a little later on, the third response was a response of anger. Yeah, they marveled at first because they just couldn't believe what he was saying. Doubting because they thought they knew him. But then they would read. And even today, today, that's, that's why people reject him. You think about it, guys. One of the dangers in our own precious country, the United States, and I say it, precious. We live in a really precious land. But the reason a lot of people will reject Christianity is because they think they're familiar with it. Well, we got on our dollar bill and God we trust. Heck, Obama kept that on there. Come on, laugh. You know, we got church steeples. Brian and I were riding around Camden the other day and just marveling at how many churches are all through Camden. And look how dark it is. We got all kinds of mega churches teaching heresy. They think they're familiar with Jesus. So they don't need the gospel. They don't need to be taught righteousness and holiness. And then that turns into anger because how dare you to tell me I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Verse 23 he says to them, you will say to me this proverb, a physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever you have heard done in Capernaum, also do, do here. He said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Well, I'll tell you something. Many widows in the land of Israel in the days of Elijah, when they heard... Uh, when the heavens was shut up for uh, three years and six months, then a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them, no one else, was Elijah set, except to Sarathah, the city of Sidon, and unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah, Elisha, the prophet. None of them uh, None of them was cleansed, saving uh, in reference to lepers. None of them was cleansed except for Naaman, and he was a Syrian. And all of those that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, what were they filled with? They were filled with wrath. They understood what Jesus was saying. He rose up to thrust them, or they rose up to thrust him out of the city and led them to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, they, uh, that they might cast him down headlong. But I love this, but he passed right through the midst of them and went his way. There are three, Jesus' response, three of them. Number one, this proverb, this proverb, physician, heal thyself. See, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. All right, if you really want us to believe your claim as the Messiah, why don't you do some of the things you've been doing in other cities or in other regions? Why don't you just do a miracle if you want us to believe? Um, you know, last week we were studying that whole thing, weren't we? If a person is, is not going to believe based on the scriptures, they're not typically going to believe Based on some kind of miracle. As we had said last week, it is a weaker faith towards God. People who need to see signs and wonders and miracles. If you want me to walk with you, Lord, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. Lord, if you want me to go to church, then you're going to have to do this. And then I'm going to believe up my faith will increase if you do this or that. That's a weak faith. What happens if Jesus decides never to do one, one, another thing for you the rest of your life? 
Now, that, that's an impossibility, but I'd like to throw it out just for thought. What happens if Jesus never does another thing for you, folks? Kids still die. Kids still get sick. You still lose jobs. He'll never pull up, provide. What would you do? How, where would your faith be? And again, I know this is like hearing a broken record. Something that John Corson said to a lot of us way back in the day. He said, and this was after he lost his daughter. He lost his wife, then he lost his daughter. Both in a car accident. About a year between each. He looked at us, he goes, brothers, you know my heart. If Jesus never decides to do another thing for me, what he's done on the cross, what he's accomplished on the cross for me, it suffice. I don't need another thing from him. That's faith based on scripture. Not faith based on a miracle or what he can do to us or for us. When people want, say to walk with Jesus, they'll follow Jesus if he does whatever. That's a weak faith. It's not even a faith. And that's immaturity. And it's kind of, if I can just put it in layman's term, that's just acting like a brat, isn't it? Do you ever see one of those kids in the store kicking mom and stamping if you don't buy this for me. I, mean, it's, I see that it oh my goodness it's man would you like me to help you <laughs> i saw this kid take a cart and ram it into somebody the kid starts laughing and the mom goes oh johnny oh johnny oh all right, so I'm confessing some things to you today, so just bear with me. This, he knows. Second response to their rejection is that, you know, that no, no prophets accepted in their own country. That, reminding them that Israel and even themselves, they have a very long history of not accepting um, the prophets of God, that they were constantly rejecting when God would send a prophet. He goes, look, the bottom line is prophets aren't accepted where they're familiar, where they're, where, where they're familiar or where they're known. The third thing he reminds them is of their history and he brings up Elijah. And he goes, during that time where there was a drought and there was a severe famine, you know, they constantly rejected the prophet's message. So God said, all right, I'll just send them to this widow. You know, I'll just send them to a woman. You don't want him. All right. You know, you know your history. And then he brings up Elisha during that time period, you know, when, when there was the lepers all throughout the land of Israel. But God, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hearken to the prophet. He goes, all right, so then I'm just going to send him to just one who will accept Nahum. So he just reminds them of their history. And and during that time, by the way, that was the lowest point in their history. That was the lowest they ever got when it came to faithlessness and disobedience to God's word. You read your Old Testament. And God sent one prophet after another prophet after another prophet. They either killed them. They rejected them. And God said, fine, I'm not going to force myself on them. And you know, that is a principle even today. Someone who hears the gospel time in and time out. Family members just trying to love on them. Share things with them. They keep rejecting. 
God might just say, my spirit will not always strive with man. And there comes a time where the Holy Spirit isn't working and isn't drawing. I don't know when that is. I I just thank God that I said yes in 73. And I bet you you're glad you said yes if you're here today saved. But if you're not, why do you reject? Is it doubt? Do you marvel at what I'm saying? Thinking, now this can't really be. You know, you marvel at this. I never heard it. I've been going to church all my life. Never heard one thing like that. Are you really saved? Are you doubting because of familiarity? Are you, are you de- rejecting because, you know, for whatever reason? So he reminds them of their history. And I got to wrap it up here, guys. So, Richie, if you'll, you'll make your way out here. Listen, their last display of rejection was wrath. They were angry. Man, they were off the chart. If you can um, just imagine... Someone being that filled with wrath that they're willing to murder. They're willing to murder. And they understood. I mean, the reason why is because Jesus made the Gentiles, the women, even leper. He made them the heroes. God speaks favorably of these three. And to them it was inconceivable. They could not wrap their minds around the fact that God had a greater concern for the women and for the, the, uh, the Gentiles and, and for these leprous people. He had more concern for them than he had, this is how they're thinking, that he had even with the natural sons of Abraham, the Jewish people can't be we are Jews we are Abraham's children why would he say that and that made them so angry so angry to silence his voice listen because this is so applicable today because this is so dark they didn't like what he was hearing they didn't could not accept the message So they got so angry, they were going to just annihilate, destroy this life. They're going to throw him off this cliff and and have him bash his head. Simply because they just did not like what they were hearing. And you tell me we aren't witnessing that in our culture today. Listen, I'm not a political person. But every now and then, I watch the news and my heart breaks I heard someone say the other day, he was born again, I know him personally, if I had a gun, Harry, I'd kill Trump. Look, it's one thing to have a view, but to allow yourself to go into that darkness, to have a bunch of kids with masks, with canes, to beat up another group because they just don't like what that group stands for. Listen, guys, I'm not getting political. I'm just trying to show you how dark our world is getting. And don't fool yourselves. Christians can fall into the same darkness. It's my heart to your heart. Don't get political. We have a president coming. They also call him a king. And his headquarters isn't going to be in an embassy. But it's going to be in a temple. And we will call him the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's who I'm voting for. No, I'm not saying don't. 
I'm not saying don't do your civil duties. We do do that. Because you don't vote, you don't have a right to say anything. We do do that. But don't let your hearts fall into darkness. If there's a group who wants to annihilate the unborn, you don't get into that darkness. Well, there I said it. I'm sorry. But listen, just a closing comment. We're all going to be rejected. Every one of you, you're hearing my voice. Jesus was rejected for those reasons. You too will be rejected as a Christian. What we carry, this message of the gospel, is never going to win a popularity contest. It won't. You know, one of the things, I, I kind of got this when I was riding around with the police department. I, be, I became a, um, a class one officer, a police chaplain. I was riding around, and I noticed no one really wanted me to do a ride along. Unless they were another believer. Mike Ryan, that's who I rode around with. We talk about Jesus all night. But no one else. So the chief had to come to me. He goes, Harry, you know you can just say, I'm riding with you. So Really? Tried that once or twice. Wouldn't do it again. (laughs) It's a long night. (laughs) Let's stand together. I love our church. I really do. I just love that I can come up here and share my heart, share the scriptures with you and I guarantee you guys, by the time we get done this series of studying the life of Jesus, when we're all done, maybe we should have a testimonial night of how God has changed us. You know, studying more about him, your life will change as a Christian. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship, it's just all up here, you know, you have a familiarity with it all. Oh, it's much more than that. It's where he comes in. Listen, literally, it's not just hypothetical. It's just not kind of a theory. He literally, his spirit comes into your spirit and you are raised to new life and you're born again and you start to see. You start to see your condition. You start to see what you can do, how you can lay things at the cross. You begin to learn how to hear his voice and sense his spirit. Amen, Christian? I love you guys. Father, we just lay this word at your feet. And and God, we ask that you would take it and you will continue to mold us and conform us into your image, Lord. We pray that by the time we come together again next week, God, that we would be able to testify in our hearts of some victory or something that's conformed us more into your image. We love you. Thank you for your word. Uh, And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, Amen. Hey, why Rich is leading us out today. If you're in need of prayer, please come down. Find someone that's on the prayer team. Pray with them and uh, be blessed.